0: Thriving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Tech Life Sydney. Skill shortages locally are impacting businesses' ability to scale as well as nurture Australia's future product and engineering workforce. To compete on the global stage, Sydney is in need of world-class tech talent, which is why TechLife Sydney creates awareness of the vibrant tech scene evolving in Sydney. TechLife Sydney showcases the best of both worlds, an opportunity to work with world-class businesses and to enjoy a lifestyle Only Sydney can offer. Visit www.techlifesydney.com to check out all the businesses on the Sydney map.
1: I'm your host Laura Johnson, and today I'm lucky enough to have Neil Gunning as my wonderful co-host. Today we're thrilled to be joined by Maria. Okay,
0: Maria. To get started, do you want to tell us a little bit about your career background and your current role? Yeah. So if I look back at my career and how I landed in talent acquisition, I think most people say they fell into it. And I wish I was different, but unfortunately, or fortunately for me, it was similar. I um, studied HR and psychology at uni and reactively towards the end of my degree was trying to figure out how I could get some work experience and came across an internship at a boutique recruitment agency. So that's kind of how it all, I think, evolved and, and happened for me quite naturally. So I started working there part-time, ended up picking up a role and building up my desk within a totally, totally different space in the industry. It was fashion, beauty, lifestyle, so completely different to where I am at the moment. And I think that's really where it evolved. And I, rather than wanting that sort of focus on HR And progressing down that pathway, I think I I really saw and and was energized by finding roles, finding great humans for for my clients, although, again, very different to the industry I'm in now. And it's just spearheaded and spitballed from there. I worked with a couple of high-profile clients and one of them, the husband of one of my closest and and sort of main clients is a really well-known and high-profile human in the tech world. And having some exposure to him and his brain, the environment he was operating in, his business at the time, this is probably seven years ago, so they definitely were as well known as they are right now. It really opened up my eyes into a slightly different world and I uh, was approached or, or headhunted by someone who was hiring for, at the time it was Urban Spoon, so the food tech Company startup. They'd been acquired by Zomato, which was headquartered in India. And anyway, it all kind of happened very quickly, but that was my first exposure into the technology or or startup world more so. Scaling teams really quickly, hiring very aggressively, very, very stereotypical, I would say, work hard, play hard environment, you know, huge sales team, lots of things that I wish I hadn't seen. But it was a really, (laughs) really interesting experience and I think kind of opened up my world. To a completely different space. And that's kind of where it started. I mean, I've worked in multinationals. I've worked in RPO, in-house. I've had a really diverse spread of experience in, in terms of the businesses that I've worked for. Japanese company, American companies, a Finnish company most recently, and definitely have had, I would say, exposure to a lot of different environments, whether they're really regulated, very greenfield. And I've always been drawn to, I think, sort of the, the scale up style of environment. That seems to be where I've really thrived and really my sweet spot in terms of the growth, the um, potential ambiguity, but also I think equally opportunity to really change the way things are done. So yeah, I've been at Prosper for seven months now. Feels like a lot longer, but yeah, we've just hit the seven month mark. And when I first started, we were a team of two and now we've scaled to a team of four and still hiring it's a shameless plug. We are hiring at the moment and I would love to (laughs) to find someone before the new year because it is an incredibly complex market as we all know as recruiters. But yeah, look, it's been an incredibly rewarding and and really exciting journey. The business is growing so rapidly, particularly in the technology space, so across product design and our technology team, so engineering and, and data. And the team is just so phenomenal. So I feel really lucky to have been Yeah, to have landed in in the environment that I'm in at the moment.
1: What a journey. All right, let's flip way back to the beginning. You started off in HR Mm. and psychology. What was the impetus behind HR? Why, Why HR way back then? No work experience, still learning? What was the impetus? Yeah,
0: so absolutely. The work experience was purely retail. So to be totally transparent, when I was in high school, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And my mum actually was studying HR when I was in high school and she is still in HR to, to this day. But I think having some exposure to what she was learning about and the practical application of that, it was just really interesting. And I always thought psychology made so much sense to pair back with that because working with people, their psyche, understanding the way people think, interact and, and all of those sorts of um nuances I thought would just be quite a natural pairing at one point I thought I wanted to sort of pursue psychology and then I think once I got a taste for recruitment it all sort of went downhill from there.
1: So what was that about recruitment then so you you did your HR Um, psychology degree you mentioned it was you kind of fell into it because you were just looking for work experience but You know, you've come out of your academia with, um, Mm -hmm. you know, much broader people operations, psychology, behavioral economics, behaviors, how all that all ties together. Mm -hmm. And you went into one subset of that and Mm -hmm. you you fell in love. Tell us about that leap, you know, going from what was it about that 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 made you stay in it for so long?
0: Absolutely. So I think firstly, working with people was the obvious call out, right? So it's still very relevant and very applicable to, to sort of that, you know, theoretical knowledge and those and mm-hmm. studies. But I think ultimately understanding, and at that point it was an agency world, so understanding the different business problems that we were solving for and then trying to pair that with an actual human that's incredibly right. unpredictable. For me, once that match was found and once we actually, you know, found the right person or once I found the right person for, for my clients, I think it was a bit of a thrill to be honest, and a bit of that adrenaline kicking in, Mm -hmm. which for a lot of people probably sounds a bit strange, but I think you guys sort of get it. So I think initially it was literally a bit of Tetris and being able to build up a base of people, understand what they were looking for and how I could potentially help them on that journey. And to me, that was really exciting. And I think the transition even from agency to in-house was such a natural extension of that because as I partnered with my clients, really got to understand, you know, what their growth trajectories looked like, what mm. they were looking for. A lot of them were in retail as well. So even transitioning mm. at that point from store to online and, and that real drive to e-commerce because the Iconic was barely the ship that it is right now. So it was such an evolving market at that time. Yeah, being able to understand some of those nuances, I think for me, really called out the fact that I was drawn to to being in-house and, and really um, a, a part of, a, of an internal team and, and really yeah, having that opportunity to grow and, and help contribute to the growth of a business internally and really dedicate myself to that kind of strategy was was really exciting. So look, I don't know if that answers the question and sometimes I'm still in that headspace of, you know, do I consider HR? Maybe have I, have I pigeonholed myself too much as my mum says, but I, um yeah, I'm quite, you know, I think a lot of people will get into recruitment and quickly deviate into HR, OD, L&D, something sort of. HR specific, but not maybe TA focused. But yeah, I'm not kind of in that headspace, to be honest. I think I've been really lucky to sort of, particularly with my internal roles, do much more than just hire. And I think people assume, oh, okay, you're a recruiter. So you put up an ad on Seek, you just, you know, (laughs) call people, bring them in, sweet, you know, the, the administrative sort of component of things. But I think once you start to understand what a true talent acquisition function does, There's a lot of depth and and sort of exposure there, right? So I think, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but um, I think it's so much more than just sort of matching a candidate with the client. But for me, that's probably where it started. Equally so, I'm such a shy person or or was rather um, (laughs) way back when. So for me, going into an internship a recruitment internship was sort of a push to push me outside of my comfort zone because I was quite an introvert by nature, which I think definitely achieved, achieved that and now it's probably the opposite. But yeah, I think for me, it was almost a bit of self-motivation, a bit of a challenge to push myself outside of my comfort zone. I mean, cold calling on a cold desk is always fun, but Mm. equally so, I think, yeah, it's definitely come with a range of
1: rewards. Amazing. I'm very shy too. I get it. Are uh, you? Really? Maybe one day. So thinking back then, so you, I mean, you made that leap from academia into your first agency style role. I mean, the learning curve from, learning to functionally applying even if it is just a subset of what you're building up that knowledge and you know the the growth and knowledge the horizontal growth would have been extraordinary thinking back to them what do you think some of the key learnings the key growth areas for you were oh yeah
0: so I think firstly you know everyone's agency experience is different I think a lot of Humans thrive in, in that sort of fast-paced agency environment, and a lot of people are really terrified of the whiteboard with the the results and the, the billings for the the month or quarter. In my case, <laughs> ringing bells was really, and
1: stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah, we didn't have one, <laughs> but we may as well have.
0: Totally, yeah. No, I'm lucky we didn't have a, a bell, but you know, I was really fortunate at that time. There was particularly one, but I had a handful of, of recruiters who were much more established in their career that took me under their wing. So. I think having that person to bounce ideas off of was really valuable and and actually just being able to shadow the client meetings, the way they were engaging candidates, the way they were sourcing through the database, all of that sort of, you know, one-on-one stuff because it was very much learning on the job. I think that was really valuable. But in terms of learnings, I think it was sort of learning to walk before you can run. I think Mm -hmm. one thing that really I've never forgotten I um, was cold calling a lot of a lot of different clients, and obviously trying to build up my desk. And I'll never forget there was one client that I had spent a bit of time sort of grooming and converting, and again sort of thinking back to that retail and, and fashion space, the margins and and the overheads and the income that they have to even put towards agency fees is, is really not there. It's not like a tech or a huge sort of scaled, scaled business. But anyway, I had called this client and they had secured a, a GM role and pretty much it was my third call and it was sort of circa 300 plus in terms of base and this incredible opportunity to build a relationship with that client. But it was probably the second client I had ever spoken to let alone worked with and just learning when to actually recognize that you need to partner with people around you to actually do right by the client and not be overly ambitious. And too, for lack of a generalization, millennial about the the situation, I think was probably um, really valuable because I think, again, potentially it would have been a really big or different outcome had I sort of tried to do everything on my own and be too proud to ask for help and guidance when I needed it. And, yeah, I hate to make that generalisation, but I think we all see it, in, in fairness, across so many different generations, but just that sort of inability to ask for help or kind of workshop ideas with your colleagues, peers, whatever it is, before you jump into the deep end and, you know, do something totally out of character. I think that was probably the, the biggest Maybe. thing for me to learn in that environment because yeah. it was my first exposure to anything slightly more corporate, right? Mm.
1: So thinking then, one of the key things that I think comes through there is that it was always about being around other people, bouncing ideas. So you're basically learning in a very different way. You were growing in a very different way to, mm. you know, learning from an academic sense. Um, totally. You know, what do you think, you know, if you, if you're thinking back on that, what do you think was more impactful for you in terms of Um, how you were, you know, building that experience, building that knowledge base, building Mm. even the confidence to actually functionally apply it. What was more impactful and more effective for you?
0: Oh, 100%. It was the practical application Mm -hmm. and, and actually learning on the job and experiencing and building on experiences, right? I think for me, I really enjoyed school, really enjoyed uni, but always struggled to see the point a lot of the time, (laughs) to be frank. And it was really, really fascinating content, right? But a lot of the time converting and applying it into the real world, for me, didn't always translate. So I think absolutely it was so valuable having that experience firsthand. And that's why I was so keen to get some experience under my belt, even if it wasn't paid. And obviously, in this instance, it ended up being a a full-time job. But yeah, I think there's so much value in actually learning in the job and, and taking mm. that approach rather than, I think obviously balance is important and, and a combination of the two, depending on your learning style is really valuable. But mm. yeah, for me, I've just been so lucky to, to really be almost like a sponge in a lot of my different roles and, and environments and really learn so much on the job that I wouldn't have been able to, you know, by sitting in a lecture and, and sort of talking to students.
1: Mm. I love that. So, when you move into agency, one of the things that I think is, you know a lot of people most people know i mean but it's um, you obviously have a key lens on it when you're at an agency there's a very heavy commercial component to that role you mm. obviously you've come from uh, very people focused normally indicative of a high e q highly empathetic people person you've moved into a business where there's a very high commercial element where you're having to find that blend of people focused and commercial focused How is that learning curve going from very people focused lens to okay, I've got to ring that bell. Otherwise, I'm not going to be in this job for, long, for that long. So how was yeah. that learning journey?
0: That figurative bell? Yeah, look, I have to be <laughs> honest. I think the entire environment I was in an agency was very, very commercially driven. There was much less of a people or, or human focus to it. I mean, obviously, the people I worked with were incredible. But being a smaller boutique agency, the number one and the main priority was, was constantly what we were billing. And it was less about what we can do to better service our clients and more about runs on the board. And, and that was the reality of a small business. So particularly in a declining or, or let's say in a market that was struggling because again, retail and that sort of period was really, really impacted by, yeah, the digital revolution. I sound like a grandma saying that, but, but that sort of shifted <laughs> e-commerce, right? So Yeah, I think I was always personally conflicted because I wanted to do right by my clients and even if it was having a one-hour conversation or catching up with them on site just to, to help them sort of navigate a particular situation, if there was no sort of financial return on that, it was really frowned upon. So look, I'll be honest, I struggled. So I think, again, it does really vary and depend on, you know, your personal preferences. But for me, I've been fortunate that my in-house roles and even my RPO role had a really, really strong commercial focus, but equally so, I think that balance of, of genuinely doing right by, you know, the business that you're consulting with or the business that you're employed with and doing right by the candidate as well has been so important. So I think that blend of the two is certainly, yeah, where I've probably thrived. If
1: that makes sense. And I am really keen to make that link between agency to in-house. But before I do that, Mm. when you're, I mean, ultimately what you're having to do when you're in that sort of, when you're learning that commercial side of things is you're kind Mm. of taking mental gears and you're having to think in a very different way. How do you adapt? What was your mechanism for adapting to that? was it just learning from salespeople in your business? Did you find that you actually had to sort of make an ethical or moral leap somewhere along the way? What was your mechanism to make that leap?
0: Yeah, great question. Look, so, I mean, not that it's really the same, it's apples and oranges coming from a retail environment where we were heavily measured on sales results and clothes and people are very different. Let's just put it (laughs) out there, obviously, but fully fully aware of that. But, you know, working in a retail environment where our it was an Australian owned business, our leader was very, very present, constantly in store. We were always motivated to to hit some pretty ambitious results. So I guess coming into the recruitment world and an agency to be specific. It was probably, I think for me, it was very much, I was thrown into the deep end. I you know, took the bull by the horns and really wanted to make the most of the experience and really figure out if it was the right environment, dynamic, set up, all of the above. I think at a point, particularly when I was able to build up a desk and one of my colleagues at the time, she moved in-house. So I inherited a number of her clients as well. Once I had a desk of clients that, I would say, were pretty regular in terms of billing and sort of what they needed from me. It didn't require a huge shift or, or transition in terms of my mm-hmm. thinking, but I think initially getting to that point, you definitely switch off one part of your brain and you're like, no, focus, don't deviate from what you're most naturally drawn to and focus on the task on hand. You're here to do a job. Really make the most of, of challenging yourself because cold calling was not something I enjoyed. Um, I'm happy to head hunt all day and speak to people, but cold calling clients and telling them why they needed to spend X amount to work with me wasn't necessarily something I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed twice a week. I think we had to make like you know 50 to 100 calls, so that wasn't necessarily the most enjoyable part of the role. But again, I guess to answer your question, you're right; it was a different experience, and and I think just something that I had to fundamentally really. Give a hot crack to before if I sort of throw in the towel and say, you know what, ethically, morally, whatever, this isn't for me. It wasn't unethical, it was just very different to the way that I engage people. So I think, until yeah, what's the expression you have to try before you buy? Like, until you really (laughs) give something a good crack, you can't sort of say, this isn't for me. So I think that was probably my mentality. And you know, I at that point in time was really excited by that industry, so really wanted to learn and speak to as many businesses as I could and try and understand the commercial side of it as well. So probably took as an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the space.
1: And before I do make that link now to the internal stuff, if you were to give mm-hmm. you, if you could give your, your agency self back then, one mm-hmm. bit of advice, you know, something that you think would have helped you, made you feel... Mm-hmm. Less stress, less whatever. It doesn't matter what. what The Hmm. first bit of advice you would give yourself back then?
0: Uh, Drink less coffee. (laughs) 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 Honestly, it was a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Genuinely, (laughs) drink less coffee. But no, in all seriousness, I think the advice, and this is advice, a guy. Before I left, I had gotten to the point where because I had transitioned into the business from an intern to an employee, we had interns, obviously, as I transitioned out and I had at least two interns a day. So I had 10 people each week to a day that I was sort of unofficially responsible for. And even, you know, this was feedback that I provided to them sort of when I was a little bit more confident, let's say, or, or comfortable in my own recruitment skin. It's probably the advice would be to not force myself to continue to operate in an environment that I knew I naturally wasn't excited about or or drawn to. And I guess the nature of the role itself, I pushed myself, you know, again, absolutely no regrets. I think it was such a phenomenal learning experience, but I probably overstayed my journey there because I thought it was the right thing to do and just to challenge myself. And I thought it was the right thing to do by my clients because they'd experienced so much turbulence within our agency and sort of their account manager, so to speak. Mm. But yeah, I kind of wish I had jumped jumped into the internal world a little bit sooner, to be honest. Mm. That's probably the one thing. Yeah.
1: I love that. And I think that's advice that, Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just going to act like you didn't say that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think that's advice that a lot of people can take a lot from because I think that's something that a lot of people only later in life, they they start to think about. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's great advice. Okay, now that leap from agency into internal. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What was the impetus? Well, I mean, it sounds like we already kind of get what the impetus was, but you know, I won't make any assumptions. So what was the impetus? Mm-hmm. And then when you first made that leap, what was that learning journey like?
0: Yeah, so I think having the focus on one business or one client versus a diverse sort of mixture mm-hmm. of, of industries, businesses, people, all of the above, I think it was really exciting. I think part of me, the, real, the agenda and the goal for me, honestly, was to transition into a different industry. Mm -hmm. based on some of the influences I had around me but I think you know the move to internal was just such a natural and obvious step for me because I was so excited when I was able to find a great candidate for a great client and then obviously you keep in contact and there's that sort of you know candidate experience and sort of touch point aspect to any placement but kind of drops off beyond that point, right? Until the candidate's ready for their next move, potentially and they re-engage you. Like you may have sort of social conversations here and there. But I think for me, one, being able to actually see the people that I have sourced and, and hired into a business progress with the business is just so rewarding. And two, actually being able to help contribute to solving bigger business problems were probably the two things that for me solidified the fact that I was, case in point, an internal recruiter, and certainly not someone that really thrived as much in an agency setting. And again, comparing sort of different roles that I've been in You know, I've been in environments that are highly, highly sort of KPI'd and activity focused, um, particularly, you know, um, HubSpot, which was headquartered in Boston. The sort of the style and nature of work we did was very, very KPI'd and that's completely fine. But I think, again, having that impact and access to the, the growth and the trajectory of the business, for me, was such a big motivator.
1: Wonderful what new skills did you learn so i mean we i think we Mm -hmm. you know if we speak to you know we know that there's going to be crossover principle level skills around sourcing tooling, etc etc what are the new skills that you learned Oh, that's a
0: really good question. So I guess the obvious shift, I mean, you're irrespective of the the dynamic of the role that you're in as a recruiter, the candidate experience is something that you're consistently pretty good at. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, people don't want to work with you. (laughs) But I think the hiring manager piece and the the partnership internally was obviously the biggest shift because typically, and, and again, it varies from client to client, typically as an external recruiter, you probably don't get as much access, as much context, information, trust, all of the above, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're physically a part of a business or you know, when I was an RPO, I um, was consulting for Canon, but I was so lucky that, you know, they basically treated me as an employee. No one knew I was an external consultant. I was very much a part of that HR function. And it's a different style of conversation, right? And you can have a broader conversation around, tell me about the capabilities in your team. What gaps do you have? And it doesn't turn into a, oh, are you just trying to BD me and pick up more business? It's a genuine conversation. Um, There are less sort of commercial implications to to some of the questions that you ask, and I think it's just a different layer of trust. So mm-hmm. to answer your question around the skills, I think it was probably shifting my mindset and yeah, bringing up the dial on the communication and the partnership piece to make sure that I understood and, and understood the context of the team, the business that I was hiring for, but also was able to build that trust in those longer-term mm-hmm. relationships. That was probably the shift because again I think reflecting on you know my agency time you absolutely have great relationships with your clients, but it's so surface and it's always about, hey, need someone, urgent, you know, help me find someone, call. Cool. Yeah. And then you're Googling and you know trying to research the company. So I think it's just, it's a different layer of information and, and yeah, it's a different style of conversation, different, right? It's different so much
1: different engagement style, different totally. exchange, different way of exchanging. So, I mean, what mechanisms did you put in place for that then to make that shift? Because I mean, you're, uh-huh. you're still speaking to humans, you're still looking to fill their yep. jobs. You know, like, Mm. so, uh, you know, was that just a learning on the job or was it actually a moment where you thought, okay, no, no, I have to change my style.
0: Yeah. Great question. I think in terms of mechanisms and tools, I definitely built a lot of structure around the way I engage with people. And, you know, this is going back a little while obviously now, but I, um, going through, and this was particularly my RPO time going through quite, I would say structured onboarding Mm -hmm. process, pardon me. It was definitely building out certain tools. Sounds so basic, but even things like a job brief template, making sure that I was keeping myself accountable, particularly if it was the first time I was meeting with someone around the style of questions so I could build a bit of a, almost a journey map when I spoke to Mm. candidates. So Mm. definitely, yeah, had certain tools that I sort of uh, held myself to account. Outside of that, to be honest, I think majority was really learning on the job. I mean, Mm. because I've had such a diverse spread of industries that I've worked in, for me, it has really been getting in, understanding the business, shadowing teams, really getting a sense of what the business does, what impact or mission the business has, how to really communicate that in a language that will make sense for different candidates, because I've always been a generalist. I've always hired technical roles, you know, people that are in HR, legal, sales, marketing, just cross-functionally. So, I haven't necessarily specialized in a particular discipline or industry. So, I think Absolutely, majority of my learning and, and sort of adjusting has been on the job and I think reflecting on some of the feedback I always get, it is about that adaptability and that ability to really embed myself in a business and kind of start to speak the lingo, start to understand the lay of the land and really have a knack for adjusting how I communicate so that candidates can actually get a sense of what they're potentially coming into Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think just again reflecting outside of RPO, I don't think I've ever really stepped into an environment that's been incredibly structured. So I've had to create that structure myself mm-hmm. as I go. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it has, I think, really been understanding the business and getting behind mm-hmm. their mission so that mm-hmm. whoever I'm speaking to, yeah, that it makes sense and it all kind of connects.
1: Mm. Wonderful. Thinking through, yeah, I guess, more specifically your internal career, can you give any examples and feel free to take a few seconds if you have to? of you know those eureka moments you have through your career where you've just like it could be a new tool a new system you've just learned something you've just saw something you've heard someone say so eureka moments that literally you resonate with you for a long periods of time and you utilize that the way through your career do you have any of those eureka moments that you can reference uh, both in terms of what was the eureka moment and what was it you learned and uh, yeah what was the eureka moment and what, you know, what was it you learned and how did you learn it
0: oh this is tricky <laughs> Incomplete transparency and honesty, I don't necessarily think there have been too many eureka moments. I think I've definitely been really fortunate in terms of the network of people that I've worked with. And again, that sort of collaboration and and knowledge sharing aspect has always been something I've been able to do in, in all of my roles. In terms of a eureka moment, yeah, to be honest. I would say the one that I referenced earlier, when I was in the agency world and sort of had some exposure to, you know, the technology world and a bit more of a of an understanding of of that market, that was probably a eureka moment for me just in terms of broadening my ambition I don't know if that's the right way to say it but broadening sort of the trajectory that I have positioned in my own brain and being a little bit more open-minded in terms of industry and the type of environments I really was excited by so that was certainly I think a very small eureka moment. Outside of that though I think yeah it's probably more more advice than specific moments And LJ, this is something that you asked before the session, but in terms of the best advice I've ever received, one thing that has really stuck with me, and it probably was something that I learned when I worked in in a digital marketing agency, which went through a dramatic rebrand, but, but it was called Melbourne IT at the time, was that people don't remember what you say or what you do. And I think it's a Maya Angelou quote, but it's really how you make them feel. And I think, again, navigating a couple of different industries through my career, I have, you know, very much re-engaged a lot of candidates that whether it was in my agency days or, you know, working across Prosper now, I have had so many conversations and, and been able to tap into my network and you just really never know at what point you will come across someone work with someone interact with the candidates that you spoke to funnily enough actually someone in my team at the moment was someone I headhunted when I was in my agency days <laughs> and I'm like oh nice. god I hope I was nice and she said yeah no no well great but um <laughs> you really never know and particularly, yeah. you know the volume that we deal with as recruiters the number of people we speak to on a daily weekly basis i think that's probably something that's really stuck with me and and that's why i you know my team knows this but i'm very, very passionate about how we engage with our hiring managers, but more so how we engage candidates on a journey because you just never know, irrespective mm-hmm. of whether you hire them or not, making sure that we're transparent, communicative, providing a sounds corny but world class experience is just so important because that's what people remember. So, that's probably I'm not sure if it's a eureka moment, but I think it's definitely something that has stuck with me over my internal career.
1: I reckon it's a huge eureka moment. Time-wise, I'm going to
0: ask you one more question and then we're going to wrap up. Who else would you like to hear from? Whose career story would you like to hear Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it would be inappropriate for me to say someone at Prosper, but... I'm really, truly surrounded by some phenomenal HR professionals in our current team outside of Prosper. I think Aubrey Blanche is someone who I've met a handful of times and um, have interacted with, and she's just incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to diversity and inclusion, particularly as the world evolves. So if you can align from a, a time zone perspective, I would highly encourage you to reach out to her. She's absolutely phenomenal. Thank you for that, and thank you for today. I've uh, really loved hearing. You. No, thank you. Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out Striving.io for career development
1: tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. Striving and thriving. Striving and thriving.
0: Striving. And thriving,
1: striving and thriving, striving and thriving,
0: striving and thriving,
1: striving and thriving, 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 striving and thriving,
0: striving and thriving.